0: Scripture readings in Acts 17, 10 through 12. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea, and when they arrived, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews are more noble than the ones in, in Thessalonica. They received with the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them therefore believed with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. Would you pray with me today? Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the reminder of your love and communion. Lord, I want to ask specifically, it's my prayer that no one would leave this place with a burden of guilt or shame, but instead they would know the incredible richness of your love. They'd be overwhelmed with how much you love each of us. And Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would take the word that we are about to read and, and listen to. And, and I pray you would apply it to each of our hearts. You would change us to give us hope in what Jesus has done for us and hope with what he will do in the future. Lord, I praise you for all that the scriptures say about your goodness and your willingness to do things as we call upon you. And so we want to pray this now in faith in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. When I was in college, freshman year, uh, I was good friends with a girl who had recently become a Christian. She had known Jesus for just a matter of months, less than a year. And she was the kind of person that she loved learning She loved studying. She had taken a couple community college classes, but we were both freshmen. We we were pretty green. I had grown up in church all of my life, and so I had a number of convictions and opinions, and especially right out of high school. I had read a couple of books that had just persuaded me of very specific things, and I've always had a disposition where I liked to debate, and so I met this girl, And she had just become a Christian, and her life had totally changed. She had been kind of wild and crazy before coming to Christ. And she had loved studying and learning. And one of the things that she loved studying and learning was anthropology, of all things. Who would love that? Anthropology, it's the study of civilizations that are not Western, especially So she loved learning about small little indigenous people groups from South America, from Indonesia, learning about their customs, learning about their languages. And prior to coming to Christ, she thought it was a great tragedy when Western missionaries would go and tell people about Jesus. Because what would happen is, as people heard about Jesus Christ they would leave their idols and begin to worship Jesus. And it changed their culture dramatically. And so she thought missionaries were some of the worst people alive. Until she came to Christ. And here's what happened when she came to Christ. See, she had grown up in a sort of nominally Roman Catholic background. And so she had all of the trappings of religion, was baptized as an infant and confirmed as a child, and then she came to recognize that all of the religion that she had grown up with had nothing of real spirituality in it. Now, i to be careful because I don't want to say that, that there are no Christian Catholics and there are no Catholics who don't know Christ. I'm not saying that at all, but that was true of her and her life. And when she heard the gospel of Jesus for the first time, that Jesus died for her sins and rose from the dead, and that all of the things that she'd done in the past could be forgiven and she could be made new, She had a hope and a peace that she had never experienced and was so excited about Jesus Christ and loved what he had done for her. Immediately, what happened to her was she hated the way that she was raised. She hated the culture that she had grown up in because what she felt like was she had learned a faith that just said, if you do these things, you're fine. You don't need to do anything other than go to confession sometimes, Make sure that you make confirmation. Make sure that that you take communion some. Participate in the sacraments. And if you do those things, hope for the best. And what she had found was richer and truer. She understood that we are saved by grace through faith in Christ. And so when she turned around and looked at her life before Christ, she said, all my culture is terrible. And so much of what's happening is leading people astray. She became very opposed to her own culture. And as I used to talk to her about different things, we, we would talk about creation and we would talk about all kinds of stuff. One day we were talking about anthropology. Anthropology. Because she was just starting to wonder, like, okay, so if I believe this, and if Jesus had changed my life, and now I no longer value all of the cathedrals and all of the trappings of my old former faith, what do I believe about missionaries? And she had this sudden epiphany that because Jesus was so precious and beautiful, that knowing Christ was the most important thing in the world, missionaries actually weren't that bad that in fact they were doing good things when they helped people realize that their idols were leading them astray. And so that it didn't matter what your culture was, and I, I believe good missionaries don't destroy culture, good missionaries redeem culture, but it didn't matter what your culture was, there is nothing worth hanging on to when you meet Jesus Christ. So what made the difference for her was she had a personal relationship with Jesus that she had never had before, and then all of the sudden, all of the things that she used to believe were suddenly untrue. It made her a really interesting person to talk to, because you asked her opinion, so, so what do you think about anthropology? She would say, I used to know what I thought, give me a minute and I'll tell you. And then she would rethink her life in light of Jesus Christ. And I mention that to say this. That's a kind of experience that all of us ought to have. Even if you've grown up in church. Maybe you remember as I was preaching about the prodigal son. And how how Jesus describes that story as a man with two sons both of whom did not truly know or love the Father. The one looked pretty good. The other one was a wreck. But both of them needed to truly know the heart of God. And we're about to see in in today's passage at the very end of Luke's Gospel, and I want to encourage you to turn to Luke's Gospel. It's most of the way through the Bible. There are are Bibles all over the room here under the chairs. I want to encourage you to find Luke chapter 24. And we're going to look at a couple of people that had the experience of understanding Christ in a way that they never had before. So the reality is, knowing Jesus personally changes everything in your life. And these people in particular, they were followers of Christ. They actually listened to his teaching. They knew a lot about him. But their whole perspective was completely wrong. And it's a little bit unsettling because one of the things that says to us is that it's possible to know a lot about Christ. It's possible to be surrounded by believers and followers and disciples and to have missed everything. And so it's my prayer today that you will consider Jesus as Jesus describes himself. That's the reason we've gone through the Gospel of Luke with such care and detail. And it's my prayer that each of us would know Christ well. These people had heard secondhand testimony that Jesus was alive. If you remember the message last week, we described how the the women went to the tomb of Jesus and they found an empty tomb, they didn't find a body. And they heard from the angels that he has risen from the dead, just like he said. And those women were the first people to carry the good news elsewhere. They believed the report, but then they go to the disciples and the other immediate followers of Christ, and they say, Jesus has risen from the dead. We've seen some angels that that have told us that he's not in the tomb. And and Peter goes and runs and checks the tomb, and, and sure enough, it's empty. But rather than believing the report and understanding what Jesus had just done... Almost all of his followers were in a state of utter confusion. And that's true of these people here. So in this state of confusion, they just get on with life. They don't try to understand what has truly happened. It sounds like they're just going to go on a short little business trip. They don't expect to ever know. And the text describes them in a state of confusion and sorrow. And so my first point this morning is that if you don't understand what Jesus has done for you, you will live in a state of sad confusion. It's not to say you'll never experience happiness, but if you don't know Jesus, you will live in a state of sad confusion. And I want to encourage you to read verses 13 to 24 with me, and let's notice a few things about these particular people. Now let's pause and notice just a few things about this. Notice in particular, verse 16. It says, while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, verse 16, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Now that's kind of interesting for a number of, of reasons, and you can talk about what the resurrected Jesus is like. You can talk about how his body is similar to his His body before he was raised from the dead, how he still bore the scars of crucifixion, how people were able to recognize him, but in this particular verse, what's said is that they were kept from recognizing him. In other words, it would have been normal for them to look at him and say, Jesus? And then to have the sudden realization that everything they'd heard was true, but God didn't allow that. And I think it's worth pausing for just a moment and asking the question, why? It would have been so much easier if they just looked at him and said, Jesus is alive. And imagine how their faith would have just exploded. They would have been elated. They would have been so happy. They probably would have rethought everything that they had ever heard him say. And they would have still been completely wrong about what he came to do. See, if if he had just appeared to them and they had recognized him immediately, they would have, look at how they describe him, they would have still said, we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. But the redemption that they were looking for is a king to oust Rome. They wanted all the promises of the Old Testament, but only in a certain way. And they had no idea why he was crucified or what he came to do. And so I believe the reason that they were kept from recognizing him is they needed a paradigm shift. They needed a radical reorientation. I used to think Jesus was this kind of Messiah. They needed to understand he was actually this kind of Messiah. They needed all of their opinions corrected. And so they were kept from recognizing him so Jesus could have this conversation with them. The reality is, Jesus wants you to know who he is as well. It's not just these people. So many of us come with our private ideas about Jesus, and and you can hear them in conversations all the time. If you talk about Jesus with someone, they'll say, Oh, you know, I, I like some of his teaching, uh, but, but I'm not sure about some of what he said. And many people, when they think about the cross of Christ, and, and we've talked about this some, many people, when they think about the cross, will view it as just a tragic event, where Jesus was just misunderstood, and, and for political reasons, he was killed, and they view it as a terrible accident, where an innocent man suffered something horrible. But that's not at all what the Bible teaches, The reality that the Bible teaches is radically different. And God wants you to understand exactly what he planned for the cross of Jesus Christ. And the way that he describes it, the way that Jesus wants you to know what he did, is he goes all the way through the Old Testament. He begins in the beginning... So that you know that the cross of Christ was not an accident, but it was part of the original plan of God. And we live in a day where, where oftentimes, especially in our culture, people are embarrassed by the Old Testament. And I'll admit, it can be hard to understand. But here's the key. All of it points to Jesus Christ. Every part of it points to jesus christ and if you are ignorant of these scriptures you will not know your savior well and you will find the cross to be utterly confusing many who call themselves christians today deny that god the father would ever punish sin and so when they look at the cross of jesus they don't believe that jesus was dying for our sins they believe he was showing us an example of submission And that we ought to also submit ourselves to God perfectly. But you know what's true? Maybe you've experienced this. I know I have. When I try to perfectly live my life in submission to God without sinning, I fail. A lot. Just watching someone do something well is not enough for me to be saved. In fact, I'll make a rare sports analogy right here. I can watch a million football games. I still cannot throw a spiral football. It will never happen. I completely lack the coordination. It doesn't matter how many great examples I have. I lack the ability. And so if Christ is only an example for us, he'll never rescue us from our sins. But the Bible teaches something deeper and truer. That it wasn't an accident. That it wasn't just Jesus submitting to the Father. It is those things. But it's so much more. It's part of the eternal plan of God. So that guilty people could be forgiven. So that people unable to obey the will of God. Become able by the power of his spirit. And by the patience of God. We are made more and more like Jesus Christ. So that we love doing what is right. And so. If you don't know that, if you don't know your Old Testament, you will be completely confused about what he has come to do. And and so that's where they are. They are in sad confusion. Notice Jesus' strange instruction. Just a couple of verses here that are frustratingly short. Look with me at verses 25 through 27 about what Jesus says to them in their state of confusion. He said, verse 25, Oh foolish ones! And slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets. He interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Now that's absolutely critical. To begin with. He gives a very serious rebuke, a rebuke that hits home for many of us. If we're honest, he calls them foolish. And he says that they ultimately have a heart problem and they are not believing all that the prophets have spoken. See, what they did was they took the parts they liked and they just skipped the parts they didn't understand or they didn't like. And how many of us read the Bible in the same way? We might go to Psalm 23 for a funeral and find amazing comfort. But if you look at Psalm 22, where the psalmist says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You wonder, why would anyone in the Bible pray those kinds of words? And you might look at the great hope that we have in the New Testament at the resurrection of the dead. But when you read about the justice and judgment of God in the Old Testament, you wonder... How are these the same God? And I believe the problem is, we are reading the Old Testament selectively. We are finding the parts that comfort us and ignoring the parts that confront us. And the Bible is given not just for your comfort. It's given to draw you to Jesus Christ. Without a clear understanding of your sin and my sin, Jesus will never be meaningful to us, and the cross will ultimately be an embarrassment. But if you understand your sin, and if you understand the love of God, then you understand the cross of Christ. And here's what Jesus does for them. He begins with Moses. Moses is the guy that writes Genesis. He's starting on page one. In the beginning, God And he's going all the way through the end of the Old Testament. And he is showing them how all the scriptures point to him. He gives them a serious rebuke to address the heart problem. And then he gives them some patient instruction. And and I want to offer both now. Some of you have said things like, I just can't understand the Bible. That's not true. You can Do you know why I can say that with authority? Because God has given you multiple things to help you understand it. God did not give the Bible to be horribly misunderstood. He gave it so that you would know what's true. The Bible is able to instruct you. Not only did he give you the Bible, but he's also gifted the church with teachers and preachers. And so if you have a hard time understanding something, you have people that you can go ask so that they can explain it to you. The reality is, not only has God inspired the scripture, not only has he given you teachers, he's also given you the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is there to convict you of sin, but not just to convict you of sin, praise God. He's also there to point you to the Savior, Jesus Christ, so that you have hope. So God has given you what you need to understand. The problem is not with the Bible. The problem is that we have hearts that are slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. And if that's you today and and you've said, you know, I'm just confused. I don't have time to study the Bible. I don't know. You have a slow heart and you are resisting belief and you need to repent of that. I would urge you, instead, to recognize that God loves to forgive our sin, even the sin of unbelief, and you can be like the man who came to Christ and said, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Jesus will answer that prayer and bless you as you seek him. And so first he addresses the heart issue. And it's my prayer that if you come and have a heart issue, that you would recognize it as sin, that you would repent and forsake it, receive the forgiveness of God, and commit to patient, careful instruction. And that's what Jesus does. He starts in Genesis, and he goes all the way through the Old Testament. And we're not going to do that right now. The Bible is a big book. But I do want to do something else. I want to give you just a taste of what happens when you look for Jesus throughout the Old Testament. And so to remind you, and I I can't do this exhaustively, they probably, in walking seven miles, had between three and four hours. We don't know exactly how fast they walked. Between three or four hours, Jesus begins to explain all of the Old Testament to them. And so think for a moment. He starts in Genesis about God's good creation. But Genesis describes not only a good creation, it describes sin and the fall, and it shows Our brokenness. But right away in Genesis 3, God promises the woman that one day someone is going to be born from her descendants who will crush the head of the serpent. And Jesus fulfills that promise to Eve in the garden. And Jesus fulfills the promises to Abraham. God said to Abraham, through your family, all the world is going to be blessed. Jesus fulfills that promise. One of the first books that I preached through when I came here was the book of Exodus. And you can recognize that Jesus is our rescuer. The book begins in slavery and bondage and the people groan and cry out to God. And God sends them a deliverer. Jesus is our deliverer. Not only is he our deliverer, he is the Lamb of God. So as God pours out judgment on Egypt, he describes the danger to the people he's rescuing. That if they do not slaughter a lamb and put some blood on the doorposts of their houses, when the angel of death comes over and judges Egypt, they will also fall under judgment. And so in Exodus, Christ is shown as the lamb that delivers us from the judgment of God. Not only that, if you think about Leviticus and the law that God gives for his redeemed people, so after the people are saved, they're given commands, this is what it means to live as God's people, But they break all of the commands. Well, Jesus is the one who perfectly kept every command. He says, I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill the law. And as you think of the priests and their duties to to come to the people and to offer sacrifices so that the people could be forgiven and live with God's presence among them, Jesus is our great high priest. But he doesn't offer the blood of bulls and goats. He offered his own precious blood so that you and I could be brought into God's presence. Not only that... He is the great king. If you read through 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings, 1 and 2 Chronicles, if you think about the book of Judges, the people of God suffer because they do not have a good and godly king. Even the best kings like David fall short. But Jesus is the good king who will never fall short. His justice is perfect and his mercy is unending. If you think about the Psalms, he is the good shepherd of Psalm 23. He is also the one who suffers and is forsaken by God in Psalm 22 so that you and I can draw near to God. Jesus Christ is the wisdom of Proverbs. He is the mediator that Job longed for in all of his suffering. Job said, I just wish that someone would talk to God for me and help me figure this out. And Jesus is the one who goes and mediates for us. He talks to God on our behalf. Jesus is the suffering servant in Isaiah 53. Isaiah says, all we like sheep have gone astray, but the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That's Jesus. Jesus is the one who will return in power that Daniel and Zechariah saw visions of. And I've heard many people, as they think about this passage, say things like, I, I just, I wish that I could have been here. In fact, many of you have said that to me this past week. I wish I could have heard Jesus explain the Old Testament to me. But you know what I want to say to you this morning? I, I, I understand why. Because it would be awesome to just see Jesus in person. In fact, the New Testament teaches that it's normal and healthy for Christians to long to see him face to face. But here's the truth. That statement, I wish I could have been there, assumes that it would be better to have Jesus with us now... ...than it is to have the Holy Spirit. I'm going to say that again. If you wish that you were here in Luke chapter 24, listening to Jesus you believe that it would be better to have Jesus with you now than it is to have the Holy Spirit. And that's actually the exact opposite of what Jesus says. So, so it's worth seeing this in the pages of Scripture. If you're in the Gospel of Luke, turn over just a few pages to the Gospel of John and look at John chapter 16. You're going to go towards the end of the Bible. Find the Gospel of John. John chapter 16, and I want to read verse 7 to you. Jesus says this, It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, that is the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Now it is your advantage, Jesus says. It's better off that he go to heaven and send the Holy Spirit than that he stay and personally instruct every person in the Old Testament. We live in the time when we have the Holy Spirit. In fact, look at verse 8. Look at what the Holy Spirit does, not only for Christians, but for non-Christians. It says, when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. It's through the Holy Spirit that we understand our need for Jesus Christ. Not only that, look at chapter 15, verse 26. Jesus says very clearly... When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. So what happens is you read the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit helps you identify Jesus. He helps you understand how these things are fulfilled in Christ. Not only does the Holy Spirit bear witness about Christ, look at John 14, 26. So we're in just a few chapters here, as Jesus promises the Holy Spirit, describes what he does, John fourteen twenty six says this, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Now, he's saying that very specifically to the apostles. You and I have zero memories of Christ in person because we've never met him in person. But the apostles would, mem- would remember his teaching because they lived with him for three years. And so when he sent the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit reminded them exactly of what Jesus had said, and they wrote it down. Now, some people, as they talk about the Holy Spirit, they can get a little crazy, and they can almost start to worship their feelings and emotions and intuitions. That's not what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is talking about us knowing Christ specifically through his word. Because the apostles were given the ability to remember what Jesus said and they write it down. But the same Holy Spirit is also given to you. So that as you hear the words that are written in scripture, both Old Testament and New Testament, the Holy Spirit will draw you in and help you understand your sin and the greatness of the Savior. The Holy Spirit will take the law and help you understand how you are a lawbreaker. And the Holy Spirit will take the Savior and help you understand how he kept the law when you couldn't. And how he died in your place and rose from the dead. See The apostles that Jesus is talking to in John 14, they leave us a written record of all that the Holy Spirit taught them. If you ever have an inner feeling that disagrees with what the Holy Spirit inspired in the Word, your inner feeling is not from the Holy Spirit. Your inner feeling is wrong. If Someone, maybe on TV, maybe on the internet, tells you something about God that is not found in the Word. If they claim that they have a private revelation, if they claim they saw a vision but it's not in the word, do not believe them. You can't claim to have the Holy Spirit and then disagree with the word of God that was inspired by the Holy Spirit. And if someone says, it doesn't matter if they're a prominent pastor or not, if someone says the Old Testament doesn't really matter because now we have Jesus, don't believe them. Because Jesus is showing you in in this passage how all of the Old Testament points to him. And if you want to know Christ, claim the promises of the Holy Spirit and seek to know the truth through the word of God. So here's where our scripture reading this morning comes in. You remember Mercy and, and Beth Ann read from Acts chapter 17. I had them read verses 10 through 12. Paul, the apostle, goes around telling people who Jesus was, what Jesus did, And as he does that, sometimes people believe him just based it on the word that he preached. In fact, we were studying Thessalonians in Sunday school this morning, and that's what Paul says to them. You received the word from me, not as the word of man, but as the word of God. And he says, which it really is. But then when you get to Acts 17, verses 10 to 12, it describes how he went to the town after Thessalonica, And verse 11 says, now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. Why? Because they received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Now pause for a second. The New Testament hadn't been written yet. So when it says that they were examining the scriptures to see if Paul was preaching the truth, it means they were examining the Old Testament. They had a heart to want to know if Paul was being faithful to what God had said in the past. And notice verse 12, it says, Many of them therefore believed with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. In other words, if you have a heart to know Christ... It ought to drive you to the Old Testament, not away from the Old Testament. And if you say that it's hard to understand, that's a great first step to understanding it. If you're willing to read it. If you're willing to seek to know what it says. Paul says, one of my favorite verses in all the Bible, 2 Timothy 2.7, he says to Timothy, Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding. There's two parts to that. The first part is a willingness to think. But it doesn't ultimately depend on your intelligence or your ability to think. It depends on the Lord to give you understanding. And if you have a heart that's willing to think God is faithful and will give you understanding, lean in to know the Lord better. So I want to urge you this morning, I believe we as a church, we need to get to work. We are never going to draw people to Christ if we don't first know him well and love him as he is. The gospel will never seem urgent if we are not persuaded, as the Bible teaches, that people are going to die and go to hell apart from Christ. There's no urgency if you don't understand God's warnings. But if you believe all of this is true... And if you have a heart to seek Christ and you love Jesus because of what Jesus has done for you, other people will see your love and long to have the same peace and the same forgiveness. And if you have low love, I would urge you to seek the Lord in the scriptures. You can't love someone without knowing them well. And you can't know Christ well unless you know his word. So I want to urge you, we need to get to work. But ultimately, recognize that it takes a work of God to open our eyes to see Christ. So, So we've seen, first, the sad confusion of not knowing Jesus. We've seen this sort of strange instruction as Jesus hid his identity and explained the entire Old Testament to them and his desire for them to know his word. Finally, notice... A sudden understanding. A sudden understanding. And read verses 28 through 35 with me. Luke writes, So when they drew near to the village to which they were going, he, Jesus, acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Notice, they actually say twice in this passage, it was in the breaking of the bread that they recognized who Jesus was. We began our service today by remembering the work of Jesus in communion. And it's in this breaking of the bread that the gospel becomes deeply personal. Where you recognize that Jesus didn't just die for someone out there. He died for me. And I personally depend on his death and on his body for the forgiveness of sins. And when they see what Jesus did, their eyes were opened. God did a work in them so that they moved from being students of Scripture to being worshipers of Christ. See, it is possible to actually know a lot of facts from the Old Testament and to have a cold, dead heart. Jesus actually rebuked people who loved studying the Bible but didn't see him in it. And I'll give you another reference. This is from John's Gospel, chapter 5. Jesus said, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. It's possible to go to the scriptures and not know Christ. So ultimately, we depend on God to open our eyes so that we see Jesus with clarity. The point is to know that your sins are forgiven, to know God, and to spread the good news. And so as we close this morning, I want to ask, do you know him? Do you understand what he's done for you? And if you would call yourself a Christian, don't look at this passage and say, oh man, it would have been great if Jesus had instructed me. Recognize Jesus still wants to instruct you. That there is hope to know the word of God and to know Christ well in the present day because of the promises of Jesus, because of the gift of the Holy Spirit. You have the Bible. You have fellow Christians who love you, who will study it with you. If you look at this passage and say, man, it would be great to have Jesus explain the Bible to me, then commit to studying it now. You can know him well. So Christian, maybe you need to decide today, if you'll spend just a few minutes a day in reading and in prayer. And if you need help with that, I'd like to ask, would you talk to me today before you leave? Because I would love to encourage you. I would love to pray for you and with you. And in fact, if you say, Pastor, I want to grow in this and I need some help, I will pray for you every single day by name, and I will help you be accountable so that you can be faithful to know Christ better. I would love to help you start a habit of seeking the Lord. And maybe you're here this morning and you've realized that you ought to depend more on the Holy Spirit when you read the word. Let me encourage you, begin by asking his help, not only in understanding what the Bible means, but in leading you to regular repentance and obedience. And maybe you're here this morning and you've recognized that you ought to be spreading the word more. As these believers... Finally, had their eyes opened. The first thing they did was they went and told the good news to people that they thought were still in confusion and doubt. And if you've had your eyes open and you know the hope of Christ and the forgiveness that He offers, let me urge you to begin to spread the good news. Would you pray with me? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we want to see Jesus clearly in our church. And God, I ask that by the the power of your Holy Spirit, you would renew our hearts. I pray that you would increase our love for Christ. I pray that you would help us to know him better and better. Give us a desire to know your word, and not just to know your word, but to know you. I pray that you would give us a desire to spread the good news of Jesus. And I pray all these things in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. As we prepare to be dismissed, we believe that all of Scripture points to Christ, but there are some things that have not happened yet, namely the return of Jesus Christ. And so until he returns, it's our obligation to pursue Jesus personally and to draw others along with us and so I want to leave you with some verses from the very end of Revelation that describes how Jesus is coming soon and encourages us to be faithful. Revelation twenty-two seventeen says, The spirit and the bride say, come. Let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. And come, Lord Jesus. And may the grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. Go in peace.